live. I forgot to hit the record button. So what are you going to yeah, do? That's, that's important. Uh, talking to my friend here living at the 45, Bill Patton up in Northern California, where it's, uh, where it's drizzling a little bit these days. And uh, we're going, we're coming to you live. So uh, welcome, Bill. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's a little damp here. Nice to see you, Jack. I'm looking forward to this. And I'm also looking forward to your show, um, uh, The Real Spin. I'm, right. I can't wait. I yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to have fun. So awesome. Well, Bill, like, like I said earlier, when we connected, you know, what's next? It's I, I always knew you as visual, Bill. <laughs> and then it was uh, it was brain sport, Bill, and and I had to follow you there. And uh, you know, I keep wondering what's next. Uh, I've got some great titles for you. I was thinking about it this morning. You know, I like Hillbilly Bill. I think that's good. Uh, maybe Bilbo Baggins Bill. That would be good. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Yep. All right. So why the switch? Why the switch from visual to brain sport? That's really yeah. Well, you know, a funny thing. So I got very interested in the visual training stuff because because um, I had people that I learned it from. And, and then I started kind of collecting bits and pieces. So over so many years of being a tennis pro and going to conferences, <clears throat> you know, I would get a little something from Kenda Hart and I would get a little something from this research guy and then I would get a little something over here and over here and I was like you know what there's a lot of really great wisdom about the visual aspects of tennis but no one has collected it all you know and and then not only that but a lot of the science really does support a lot of the things that you learn in um in um wait what's it called the 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 inner game of tennis that's what it is so those inner game things are actually supported by the modern science of what's going on in visual and brain science right now so so it's really awesome that way so so basically what i did is i spent about six months researching uh visual training stuff as it pertains to sports in various ways and um, and then I took it into my laboratory because I, one thing about me is I'm not going to teach something that I haven't tried and I'm not going to write something that I haven't tested with my students. So one thing that was very interesting about that is I learned about some research in golf where I learned the, the, um, the pure dextral versus cross dextral and how it affects putting. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? You know, I'm going to try this out in tennis and see what happens. Because, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm making this a really long story. So this is not the Reader's Digest version. So, okay. But um, so I was, I was looking in Tennis Magazine and they show, you know, this picture of Roger Federer, you know, and he's looking perfectly at the contact point and he gets the green circle, you know. And then they show another player who's looking ahead of contact and they get the red X. Sure. You know, good, bad. And then I was like, but wait a second, that player that they've pictured has won slams. It can't be all bad. They can't be bad. What? So, 
So I put those two things together and I was like, oh, okay. So that's where the pure dextral and the cross dextral are different. So I, I believe that Federer's cross dextral and cross dextral players meet the ball and and have eye their eyes really looking right at contact where pure dextral people are actually better suited to having their eyes slightly ahead of contact and this was proven in golf that people who are who are pure dextral should look at a place halfway between their putter and the hole instead of looking down at the putter so so anyway, so I started playing around with that and I, lo and behold, you know, a lot of people were really helped by that. And, and I think we don't teach pure dextral people. Now, on to how did it go to the brain? So I created this quiz and it was a six question quiz, uh, basically to stump people with simple things. And uh, so that they could recognize that maybe they didn't know as much as they should about visual training. So one of the questions was, which is the most important body part for playing tennis? Feet, hips, hands, eyes, right? And so, you know, people, some people said hands, right? Because you'd have to swing the racket and other people said feet because you have to get to the ball. And other people said hips because that's where the origin of, you know, a lot of the power comes from, right? Blah, 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 right? And so the funny thing is people weren't answering the question. They were saying brain. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, wiseacre, you know? Thank you, thank you, funny guy, for your brain answer. But that's not one of, it's a multiple choice question. You have to pick one of these. So, but after multiple people did that, it made me think longer, and then I, I stumbled on this one piece of research that said that 60% of what your brain does has to do with processing your vision. And that's when I had my epiphany because I was like, oh, well, it's only 60% of what your brain does. So there's another 40% out there. And in that 40%, there's more that happens. And then from there, then I went, wait a minute, you know, when I'm teaching, I don't launch right off into the visual stuff. I do brain stuff first. Every lesson starts with brain stuff. Then we get into the visual after we've done that. So, so now that's why, so I've decided to put the cart before the horse. You know, I didn't realize that I was putting the horse first. Well, let me ask you, what, what do you mean you start the lesson with brain stuff? I know how I start my lesson. So I'm coming out and I've decided to take a lesson. And, and so what's the first thing you say to somebody well, you've really never worked with before? But you know what, Jack? You do brain stuff first, too. You just don't know it. Okay. So because you're a nice guy, right? So people come to their lesson and you're like, hey, how you doing? And you, you know, you chat them up and you get them. You, you talk them down from the ledge that they just left as they're coming into the lesson, right? Well, I mostly you know, do that with short court. You know, we, we start right away yeah, hitting the short right. court and then we chit chat while we're hitting usually. Right. And what, what function does that serve? It serves the function of 
you know, you're helping them transition from all the crap that they just left in real life to now their sacred time with Jack Brody. And so you start them off with a low key, low anxiety activity that helps them to warm up, get their concentration going. And, and uh, there's a thing called the affective filter. Uh, and what that theory says is that the more anxious people are, the less they can learn. So the brain principle there is that you start the lesson with a very welcoming, low-key, low-anxiety greeting into the first activity is, is an easy thing that you do, and then, then you build in momentum and you take it up a notch at a time so that they can uh, you know, go through that, you know, and, and I start with tossing a few balls over the net by hand. And, you know, then, cause that's really slow and, and they're getting possession of the ball because this isn't something that, that not a lot of tennis pros do is uh, they don't teach possessing the ball. People are so focused on how you produce your swing. It's they're, they're so focused on technique that they forget that first you have to gain possession of the ball like you do in every other sport, right? Soccer and basketball, first you must possess the ball before you can dribble, pass, or shoot. If okay, you I'll fail buy that. to possess the ball, then you're not going to have the control that you need to execute anything that you're going to do. And that initial possession is largely predicated on what state of mind are you in and then not only that but then that facilitates the clarity of vision that will allow you to go line up your strings with the ball okay i'll buy that um i hope so yeah i mean it's the catch and it's the catch and release thing right i mean that's that's why you line up at the 45 and that's mm -hmm. where you sort of accept the ball and then and then send it away Yes. And, th and that's one thing I really love about your system is that it creates a when and aware situation. So, you know, you hear people say, keep your eye on the ball, watch the ball. And, you know, one of those is more dangerous than the other. Um, watch the ball means almost nothing. And if you say that to your student, you're probably insulting them. Because think, turn it around for a second. How did you feel when your coach said to you, watch the ball? You probably felt like, well, am I not doing it? <laughs> I thought I thought I was watching the ball. You keep telling me to watch the ball. I'm trying really hard to watch the ball. Why, why do you keep saying that? Well, right? I always so considered, yeah. I always considered not, that. Uh, it's not specific enough. But, but now, and then... Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball, I think, leads to too much pinpoint vision, too much turning of the head, right? Um, too much movement of the eyes. And those create saccades where actually your vision will gray out. And that's where you get that's where you get the player, you know, three, five, four, oh player, and they they're up at the net and they're they've got that ball all lined up and they're already dreaming of sugar plums, you know, dancing in their heads from, you know, the celebration after they make this winning volley. And then it's in the net or two feet wide because 
they had a psychotic motion of their eye and they lost sight of it just long enough that now they're netting that ball. And, and then what they do, they go, they, this is, I think, a pretty common thing. They think, what's wrong with me? Sure. And there's nothing wrong with them. They're just using the wrong strategy with their eyes. Now, you know, so any good tennis tip that has to do with vision should have a when and a where to it. And so that's what I like about the 45 degree angle is that you can see that place. And that and the time of that is when you make contact. So there's a when and a where and it gives people something to see and to compare. And, and then when I'm teaching and I say, did you make contact at the 45 degree or, or after? You know, and if after, how much after? Because there's a certain acceptability of meeting of it slightly behind. Right. I found myself getting a little dogmatic with the 45, and I think I gave myself a little bit of an Elmo problem by trying to be so precise about meeting it exactly right there. So, that well, the 45 is just flat. a concept, you know. I mean, yeah. it's not. It's not. If if it has to do with infinity, then it's unattainable anyway. So, trying to meet the ball exactly at the 45 would mean there's a linear point in the hit in the stroke and and that's not what you want so you're always massaging the ball slightly behind or slightly ahead of the 45 so yeah, yeah. i can see that there's a limit to the calculus of the contact point right i mean the whole idea is to be non-linear so if you say it's right at the 45 well then you're back into that mindset again mm -hmm. yeah so you know, it's, it's important that, so that's one thing that I think if, if, so I would say never again, say, watch the ball or keep your eye on the ball. Instead, okay. instead say, you know, give a, a time and a place to the thing that you're talking about. Like, okay, here's an example. Um, Agassi was asked, how do you return so well? And he gave three things. He said, I try, I try to see the ball come out of my opponent's racket, okay? And so that's a time and a place. And he said, I try to make sure I turn my shoulders 90 degrees and see the bounce of the ball, which again is a time and a place because when the ball bounces, it will be there at that place. So, and this is one of those things, especially for advanced players. One thing that really helped tremendously for people to dial in their positioning and hit the ball a lot more cleanly is if they see that bounce of the ball, especially because no tennis ball is exactly perfect and no tennis court is exactly perfect. There's always some kind of weird bounce somewhere created by a little tiny bump on the ball or a little pebble that's there. There's a little undulation on the court, you know, and, and the better players are better able to make that last second little slide glide, little, little adjusting step, you know, to, to have a cleaner contact. And that can be the difference between winning and losing at the higher levels. You know, I've always uh, done this with my students, but uh, I always use this tactic uh, for to gain rhythm and timing. 
toss hit bounce hit. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if anyone else has done it, but I had to do it. I was talking to Murphy a couple of days ago, Jensen, and I played his brother in doubles. And the only way I could even come close to returning his serve, righty or lefty, uh, was to do this thing, toss hit bounce hit, which my partner mm -hmm. and I discovered in college, because, you know, talk about the inner game and Braden, they were always saying, bounce hit you know see the bounce so when it bounces say bounce and when you hit say hit but i took it a step further because i thought it was really important to actually see the ball leave the person's hand on the toss at con so i would say toss as soon as the ball would leave his hand as mm. soon as he touched the ball on contact i'd say hit and then when it bounced i'd say bounce so it was toss hit yeah. bounce hit and what it did was it gave me a nice rhythm and plus if you can say four things you know, while the guy's serving, it, it made everything seem slower. Even Luke serve, you know, I, my, my claim to fame was he didn't hit me or ace me uh, in that match. And that's all I wanted to do was come off that court and stay alive because he's a beast. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that might have something to do with what you're talking about. Toss hit, so, bounce hit. That's awesome. And I have some variations on that. So um a funny thing, I'll, I'll spare the whole story of why, but I actually don't use the word hit anymore. Um, and so hit is kind of a tense and willful word. Yeah. And just go with me, right? But so I like to say bounce, toss, because because there's a real, there's a kind of a, and what that does, it reaffirms the I'm catching the ball in my strings thing. So catch it on your strings right and then we can get a little bit more into you know you know the actual work of bumping it and whatnot but so i say um bounce toss another thing though that i like to do is have a player say hit at the moment that the opponent's hitting and that's fine because it's not it's not on our side and now hit now and, and it's one thing for me personally, I love saying now, because what that does, it creates for me being fully present with what I'm doing, you know, and then, and it reduces the decision-making of when to swing and it brings everything to the actuality of when am I actually making contact? So and then um, another one that I like is, and I got this from Oscar Wagner. So, okay. so Oscar's Oscar is a very interesting fellow. But um, when you're when you're doing a volley drill, say this: "There is so much time." But it, I, I I got that because Oscar has this thing where he says where you hit and you say, when you hit, you say one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And you discover that there's actually a lot of time between hits. You can count to five quickly between hits. <clears throat> but when we volley, especially, you know, if I, early stages of volleying with a student, we'll say, there is so much time. And then you realize how much space there is in between each of those shots, and it helps reduce players' anxiety at the net. I'll have to give that a shot. You know, my my doubles partner in college, Billy, used to say uh, his thing was hit the ball now. So it's kind of like you're now. 
Yeah, and every every you know, especially he had a big forehand, and you know, every time the ball was coming bouncing towards him, he'd go hit the ball, and then as he hit it, he'd say now. So I think there's lots of good techniques. I'm not quite sure if the seems like most of them just get you in the present or focused or however you know. I, I hate to use such nebulous terms, but that's what it seems to do. It takes you out of your mindset of you know the score or don't miss. You know, uh, you know, you occupy. I think Arthur Ashe once said, uh, "Listen to yourself breathing while oh, you play." I'm looking to see if I have a book on my bookshelf. Oh, I do. Ha ha. So, a lot of people don't know this book. Oh, I have a, I have my thing on blur. Inner oh. tennis, playing the game. This is the second book. I never saw that one. I read the first one, The Inner Game. And so, but here's my favorite chapter. Leaving your mind and coming to your senses. Okay. So, so these, what these things do is they, they help you to see what you're seeing and feel what you're feeling. And then pretty soon we're going to, it's going to be a Dr. Seuss show that we're having here, right? See Uh your seeds and feel your feels and then, then don't think your thinks. But um, this is, especially with beginners, my first mission is to get them out of their heads so that they can actually see what they're doing and feel what they're doing. Um, I have an hour and a half conversation with Torben Ulrich. Oh, really? Yes. And apparently Torben says he has never coached before. He has no experience coaching. But he said... And I, but I asked him, well, if people were going to learn tennis, what should they do? And he said, well, Bill, I think first you need to know what you're doing. Because if you don't know what you're doing, how will you change what you're doing? And how will you know if you've made a change? So um, pretty deep stuff. But um you know, I also wanted to make a caveat that these these verbal things where you say a word at a, at a different thing, uh, in my experience, it works with about 85 to 90 percent of people. And I believe that the people that it doesn't work with have some type of either verbal processing delay or visual processing delay. So so the extra CPU usage in their brain trying to say the words takes away energy that they would be using to see the ball. Or, you know, and so so if they have a visual processing delay, they need all their CPU on their visual. You know, and if they have a if they have a a verbal processing delay, then that's sucking up a lot of energy taking away from what they would be able to see. So it doesn't work with everybody. And I've learned not to push it when it's not working. Okay. What's interesting about what Torben said, and that's a funny story about him. uh, I remember watching him when I was, you know, back in the late 60s. I mean, he was a heck of a a character. Uh, But that would um, that would bode well for video which, you know, I'm a big fan of. I've always, I used to lug around the big camera back in the early 2000s, late 1990s, and uh, lug that around from match to match and practice. And But I think um, that's one of the best ways to learn is to actually see yourself. And then and then you do know what you're doing. 
So, and I don't know if video is used enough at the lower levels because that's probably where it's needed more. Yeah. I just had, I just had an awesome moment where I I've upgraded my phone slightly and there's this app I have on my phone. That's no longer available. It's called the coach's eye. And, um, and it's not available. So, you know, so the, but I figured out that I can clone my phone onto the new phone. And so the app lives on. And oh, cool. And so, yeah, it's got a really nice uh, video function where you can film, but then you can have a little scroll bar and you can make people go backwards and forwards. You can make them go in the video and then you sure. can draw on it. That's cool. It's yeah, it's very nice. And then they can see the visualization of, okay, do you see how you're making contact there? And I want you to make contact here. And then they go, oh, oh, I get that. Yeah. And then you can you can show them the difference in the same lesson right now. Look, you've improved right now. And then um it's incontrovertible proof because sometimes people come to us and they think that we're snake oil salesmen. And no matter how poorly they do, we're always going to say that they're doing better because we get paid to do that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not that kind. I, I don't think any of my students would say I'm that kind. Well, when I say we, the collective, the collective tennis pro ilk, you know, gotcha. um, we're, yeah, we're paid encouragers and maybe liars. So Having that incontrovertible video proof of improvement goes even better than their own subjective feeling of I'm getting better. I see. I see. So if they miss the ball by like six or seven feet, you just go, hey, you know, you still kept it in the fence. Okay. Yeah, nice shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, but I missed, right? So, Yeah. And, and that whole leads to a whole another thing of, you know, acceptable errors and all that stuff. But it seems to me that you haven't really left the visual training. It's just more like you've encompassed this neuro neurological or this brain function that has a lot to do with the training. Is that about well, right? Yeah, because your state of mind has a lot to do with your clarity. Uh, I think a lot of people can also relate to if you're going through some difficult personal problem that's vexing for you and you've got some serious problems to solve, it's pretty hard to focus on your tennis. Hmm. You know, it's, it's difficult. And so, because your brain is so busy, you know, trying to solve a major problem, you know, I've, I've had a couple of different, um, you know, difficult things that I've had to overcome. And during that time, my, my game and my teaching, you know, took a little dip. Um, so, so yeah, I would say w if we started with brain health and with, you know, taking really good care of our mental health and, and I don't mean mental health as in, oh, you're neurotic or you're psychotic or, or, you know, whatever, or you're, you have a character disorder. I'm saying if your mental health is like a B minus and you get your, and you become even more healthy to where your mental health is just like spot on, then you're, there's less friction. And this is something I'm kind of on a mission to become as healthy as I possibly can, you know, with that, that Roman ASICS kind of thing, you know, a healthy body, 
a healthy mind and a healthy body. So I'm kind of working a lot more on my fitness. I'm adding new um, <clears throat> habits that are working on the physical plant of my brain. I'm, I'm sleeping more. I'm getting green tea. I'm drinking five ounces of red wine every night. I'm taking uh -huh. a cold bath in the morning. I mean, blah, 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 right? But all these- You live in the California things. dream, man. <laughs> You just need dreadlocks. That's all. You know, oh, that's a good one. So I was in Japan. All right. And I was in Japan and I, and I look up, I'm in Tokyo. I look up and nine floors up, there's a guy getting his hair cut in the, in the window. And I looked up and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get my haircut there. I need a haircut. This was, you know, obviously a while ago, but so, so I look up, I tell my wife, I'm going to go get my haircut at that place. And so a couple of days later, we're in that area. I'm like, okay, today's the day. So I just go on up there. And, um, you know, my hair wasn't particularly long. I was just kind of bushy and needed to be cleaned up a little bit. So they give me the book. I'm looking through the book of things, you know, hair hairstyles. And like, yeah, I don't know if you've seen modern Japanese hairstyles for young men. I think I have. They're pretty wild, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm looking through, I'm like, what, what am I going to find in here? It right? kind of looked like a rooster or something, yeah. So, so, so exactly. So anyway, so I find a guy, I find I, there was a brother with some magnificent dreadlocks and I pointed to that and the guy, and the guy went, because, you know, they aim to please. And so, you know, he, he was, he was immediately thinking, what are we going to attach them to? Where, where the, how, how are you going to get the dreadlocks on there right so so anyways like hey i was just kidding with you and i pointed to a different one and got it so got I, it so speaking i have, of, I have I, always wanted dreadlocks and i will never have them. <laughs> so speaking of japan you're taking off I, i've been watching you on social media you got a trip coming up to oz i've been there once but it wasn't yeah. for 10 even though i played over at the queen's um club or, or the white club or whatever that is a famous club over there in sydney that was a lot of fun uh i went over there to go surfing and i got my fill because it was you know it was 20 foot plus it was big but i was a young man i was in my mid-30s so I, I wouldn't attack that today but uh so yeah so you're going to oz tell me about that trip and how did that come about and is it one of your fans from your book or um I mean, yes and no, I wouldn't call him a fan, but uh, Ryan Hanrahan, who also goes by the moniker, the tennis marketer, he and I met through the winning summit, Mark Jeffries project. So he and I were both speakers in the first winning summit, and we were watching each other's stuff and gave each other some feedback, you know, connected on social media and then and became friends. And he's he and I have always kind of sought each other out to collaborate in different ways. So it was his idea to bring me over. Uh, and so I'm extremely excited. So I'm leaving here on the 27th, which means I arrive on the 29th. Sure. I know I, it's crazy. a brutal flight. The 28th just won't exist for me. So <laughs> it's a, it's a brutal flight. It's a brutal flight. I did it from San and Diego. Hour. And then, yeah. um, and then, so I'm going to be there for two weeks, and we're going to work with high-level players, beginners, but we're also going to train coaches. And there's actually a group of a dozen coaches coming from India. 
to come get training. And so I'm really excited about that. We're going to film it. And then also we're going to create a course. So we're going to create a teaching course from that. And I'm very excited about that because it's basically going to be the birth of, you know, the brain sports coaching stuff, you know, in, in content. And then, um, the book visual training for tennis, which I have right here is actually going to be rewritten and it's going to be, um, something like brain training for sports. And it'll be more, a little more general but with plenty of things that people can use um, in tennis for sure. So uh, that, that'll be, rather than do a fifth edition of visual training, I'm going to switch it over to being a brain book. So, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. I land on the day of the men's final. And oh. I've already been invited over to watch the game and have some single malt scotch with somebody. Nice. Boy, that's pretty. So you're <laughs> so going to go straight to the... You're going to go straight to the Australian. So this guy, Hanahan, he's got uh, tickets to the, to the show. No, we, uh, I'm, I'm flying into Sydney. So I'll be oh, working okay. in Sydney, which is a long way from Melbourne. Yes, right? it is. Yes, it um, is. So no, I'll be watching on TV and uh, really hoping with all my heart that Djokovic wins. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking Djokovic uh, all the way, at least for two slams. And I think the Aussie open will be for sure. One of them, I think the U S open will be another and who knows he could win. Uh, he could win Wimbledon and even the French this year. I think he's got an ax to grind with the, the whole system. And I think he got screwed personally, but um, you know, that's a story for another day, but right. I, um, but I, I think he's uh I think he's still the most disciplined player out there and has the most experience and he's in ridiculous shape. We all know that not a, not right. an ounce of fat on him. And uh, I think he's in the prime of his life. I think this is really going to be a big year for him and next year as well. Hopefully they don't uh, screw him over again somehow with a, another variant or whatever they decide is a reason to kick him out. I mean, even when he hit that ball girl, or the, the, the umpire with the ball that that was, you know, he should have gotten docked a point or a game, but not thrown out yeah. of the country. So, you know, I think uh, in what they, the tours need a rule where, where the default, the thing, the first thing is okay. Default, right? So if you hit somebody in anger or not even in anger, it's a default, but there should be a discretionary uh, aspect to it. So Yes, you're defaulted, but now, you know, the, everybody huddles up and they look at the severity of it, and then they say, then they say, okay, so, okay, no, um, one game penalty. You're, you're re the match is reinstated, but you're granted a pretty severe penalty or whatnot. But, you know, like they do in hockey and basketball and football, you know, where they're looking to see if there was intent to injure. Of right? course. Of course, you know, because they review flagrant fouls and they review, you know, um, they review boarding and elbowing and other things in hockey. And and in football, you know, they look to see if you led with if the head actually made contact with the other head or whatnot. Um, it should be reviewable if there should be some discretion. Um, yeah, I do agree that for the for the purposes of shock and awe it should be an automatic default because then because that makes it more fun for everybody 
And then if they're reinstated, I think that that brings a, a lighter touch to, to being able to, um, you know, give the right amount of justice rather than heavy handed. Yeah, I guess I I still don't know why he got tossed out of that. I, I seem to think it goes to that uh, he was in the wrong, the wrong era. You know, if he had done that right. in the '80s, people would have laughed. That's right. about it. You know, well, like, <laughs> contrast especially with, if, it, if he especially if he hit a white guy, you know, white male, well, <laughs> they would have laughed. Yeah. But you know, um, Shapovala, right? When he got defaulted, right. I, I don't think he would have been reinstated because he hit the ball in anger and it hit the dude in the head. I agree. Right? And so, so, I mean, and so that probably wouldn't have been one to reinstate the, you know, this one with Djokovic was a 50, mm, 50 call. If, you know, if he, if he got reinstated, probably half the people that don't like him or in the doll fans are not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. They just want him out. But, Okay, but that's all right. It's okay for people to not like it because one the one thing that people really love to do, sports fans, is complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. Complaining drives the sports talk radio business. You're probably right about that. Well, Bill, let's, let me tell you, I'd like to uh, speak with you after your trip. I mean, it sounds like a real blast. And uh, maybe you'll bring some video back with you. You can share on the show and you can talk to us a little bit about how the trip went and how they received it all. And and whatever, you know, you don't know what you don't know and whatever happens over there that, you know, yeah. is particularly interesting. Here's what I'll do. I'll do some um, walking on a tightrope without a net. Because this is one thing I love to do, because when when you know that you can teach a complete stranger and film it and it's going to turn out OK. Oh, yeah. then you know, your stuff works. Oh, yeah. But because in one thing you see a lot in teaching presentations is the coach who brings the player that they've been working with for 16 years. Of course. So you don't see the struggle. You don't know. It's a, hard it it's is a they're bringing a shill. Work. They're bringing a shill. So anyway, all right. Okay. Well, very good, Bill. I, I sure appreciate you stopping by and, and chatting with us here. And, uh, Thanks, and we'll Jack. do it again in, in about a month or so when you get back. All right. Awesome. Sounds great, Bill. Thanks so much. And uh, y'all tune in on Monday night for, uh, for the real spin on tennis, the first tennis comedy hour. I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. And uh, Bill Patton, thank you for living with us here at the 45 today. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for watching. Thanks.